You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. No! Oh my God, no time to turn. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss nerd podcast. Nerd. All right, you people nerds out there. We've been trucking through the people year. Nerds. People nerds. People nerds. <laughs> yeah. Are there people nerds? I mean, yeah. In Kiss World, there are, I guess. I, mean, I don't know if we're people or just nerds. I don't know. Do we even qualify as people? We might be robots. Uh, yeah. You know, that would be apropos in this episode. <laughs> We've been trucking through the year 1978, and here it's going to kind of all culminate with... Uh, a very good bad idea or a very bad good idea <laughs> yeah however you want to look at it i don't know but this is going to be our episode where we're going to look at the uh the classic piece of cinema yes one could uh refer it to as such <laughs> known as kiss meets the phantom of the park yes. is it kiss meets the yes. phantom of the park kiss or kiss meets. meet the phantom of the meets park? with an s if gene had been in charge it would have been emi at i think that would have been Kiss paul meets now family. listen i see a lot of people out there i want to no. eat yeah <laughs> uh, so uh this is uh the movie airs kind of coming springing off the heels of the release of the solo albums mm-hmm. but of course this was all uh well really thrown together yeah the previous spring um Prior to this all coming together, they had been offered a role in a movie that was being made or was made uh, based on the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club band album, another notoriously bad, bad movie. <laughs> and they were offered to be the future villain band. And that role ultimately went to Aerosmith. Right. And I think Bill Coyne nixed it because he didn't want to see Kiss portrayed as the bad guys. Oh, yeah. They are going for the hero aspect. They're going right. for the, they're the good guys. There you go. Okay. I see. I see. So um, I don't know what you guys have figured out on this. I've I, In my research, it looks like uh, they briefly talked with Lou Scheimer's filmation to do an animated series. Yeah, I, I saw that one too, and that and that didn't seem to really go anywhere. But the pitch that you read everywhere is that they read it, and it was supposed to be a mix between a Hard Day's Night yeah. meets Star Wars. Oh, you're talking about for the movie? Yes, for the movie. Because okay, like, because I, I, I didn't see, I didn't see much on the about, animated. I'm talking about they, they, there was a, there was a briefly considered an animate with Prescott right. Shimer. I don't know if y'all remember in the day. They were produced a lot of the cartoons that you see on Saturday morning. They had the little circle thing that rotated at the end. Um, filmation. Um, and then, uh, meanwhile, NBC and Hanna-Barbera have de- have a developer. Hanna-Barbera has a development deal with NBC to develop what, as I understand it, live action content yeah, I was about for to, primetime specials. I was about to ask, is this the first time Hanna-Barbera kind of delved into live action content? I'm not sure if it's the first time, but... Um, I want to say, well, they were part of Banana Splits, and I, oh, in yeah. the movie, okay. you okay. do see a Banana Splits head. Well, there you go. 
Uh, it's this is going on, and then Jeff Franklin at ATI, which is Kiss's booking agent, mm-hmm. um, he's aware of this deal that Hanna Barbera has got development, and I think he was the connection there and approaches a coin, going, "Hey, you know, you might could do something here." Right. And I don't know if they're just thinking the cartoon aspect or whatever. And of course, to a coin, this seems like this is the next logical step. You mm-hmm. know, everything's advancing, everything's moving. Now we've got to get Kiss their movie. Yep. And I'm sure the initial idea here isn't a TV movie. It's a full a full fledged theatrical major release. Like picture. you said, Star Wars meets a hard, hard days, night. hard hard days, night. Because they still but want to keep that Beatles mystique. The problem here is how are they presenting this as Star Wars meets a hard day's night when? Well, I guess 78. Star Wars came out the year before. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I'm, yeah, that th- was, I'm thinking that was May 77. on the heels yeah. of everything. So, yeah, Star Wars was shit hot. So oh, yeah. that makes sense. Um, so they approach Hanna-Barbera, which seems like a curious move to me. Mm-hmm. Like if you're wanting to make a theatrical film and now it seems like uh, immediately you're, you're backpedaling going, okay, well, we'll do a TV film first. This, this seems like, uh, you know, it's almost like They've put the cart before the horse. Let's just make this happen. So did a coin reach out to them first? or uh, they, they approached Hanna-Barbera. Okay. And Hanna-Barbera has uh, no concept of what KISS is or what they're supposed to be. Yeah. Enter, once again, the unsung hero of KISS. Sean Delaney gets sent out to Hanna-Barbera to explain and, I guess, develop or, or, or somehow develop a story. Mm-hmm. For this to to make this happen, and I find it curious though that the uh, the potential slash pitched uh, animated series or movie whatever uh, wound up not coming to be because if you think about the primary plot point of meets the Phantom of the Park, I feel like it would have actually translated to animation a lot uh, way, better, way better. Yeah, this than live this action. This whole thing seems like it would have worked better as an animated feature. But mm-hmm. let me stop right here because. I, if there's one point I think needs to be made in the, in this entire podcast series mm. that I don't know if we've made, and this seems like the excellent point to do it, you know, sending an emissary to Hanna-Barbera to explain the concept of KISS because they're so clueless about it. Right. They have obviously built this fan base that was a cult fan base that they've exploded into this mainstream juggernaut that's really just starting to take you know, take root. I mean, this is the next couple of years. We're in the, you know, the apex of kiss mania, mm-hmm. but in this time frame, you know, what makes kiss work? I think this really needs to be stated is that so much of who they are is a mystery. Kiss don't have personalities. They have personas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what we know. You don't know anything about who these people are. You, you know, never mind what their personalities are really like, what their personal lives are really like. We don't even know what they look like. That That's a mystery yep, because they protect day. that. And I think that that's what makes so much of what KISS is to this day successful is because of a generation that, that lived through this era. We filled in the blanks with what we had. Mm-hmm. What we got out of KISS wasn't so much what they gave us, but what we brought to the table with our own imaginations yep. that's why every that's that. why their fan base is so varied and everyone's got such strong opinions about who and what they are is because 
what they were was very personal to you as an individual because so much of what they were was what you interpreted as being. I, I fully agree to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, because yes. coming back to the uh, Hard Day's Night comparison, like say with the Beatles uh, movie, that's just uh, four guys that are just you know laughing and having fun and getting into They're shenanigans personas, and stuff like that. But they that. developed those personalities much more readily than Kiss did because right. they you know you you had an identity for each one. You have an identity for each Kiss member, but it's still a lot of it's wrapped around an imagination of what you bring to it because because i was going to say to add on to that i mean yeah we the beatles definitely did kind of cover that but the beatles also had a lot more cameras and footage of them they did a lot more tv appearances they did a lot more things where you heard them and saw them speak and you saw their personalities if you really want to think about it sure with us going through this podcast, we can easily go, oh, well, they were on Mike Douglas. They did this, that, and the other. And it was all such a short time span. Well, this was before the era of major syndication, before internet. So if we look, they've only had like four or five major TV appearances up to this point. Right. Yeah. And this is this is an effort to change that. This is an effort to bring them on par with the Beatles. Exactly. And the movie, to give the them Beatles, personalities. And that's why you hear the Hard Day's Night comparison. The Hard Day's Night was the first Beatles movie. Now here we're going to have Kiss is going to have their own movie. Yep. And this is really going to be able to give them more identity, more personality. But it just leads into further with what you were saying saying russ is you know even though beatles did have their personalities it was crafted from seeing them and hearing them yeah. so much exactly what you said with kiss up to this point you got tiny little snippets if you happen to catch it yeah. on tv just in time right so much of what kiss is is really what you make of kiss and that's why again like i said that's why their fan base i think is so combative within their own self you know mm -hmm. their own ranks it's because everyone's like no kisses no no you know, right. and I'm guilty of it too. You know, because this is this is just the, because I have my kiss. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. I was about to say that's not my kiss. And that oh no, kind of thing. And, and it's going to be interesting when we start getting up to um, talking about Psycho Circus and like the farewell tour and stuff because that's when I became a lot more cognizant and of already a fan. So like you know, just tiny little you know snippet. I remember watching the Mad TV episode when it was on air mm -hmm. when they did the whole right. you know kiss action figures mm -hmm. and beating up Michael Jackson. So it's like that was one of my first really watching Kiss on TV moments. Right. So it's like I kind to have my own version of from this your own era yeah. when, when we finally get to that point um but they're they've sent sean delaney out to explain kiss and, mm -hmm. and to, to what degree his his involvement in the development of this is i guess a matter of conjecture at the end of the day the credited writers for the script are guys named Jan Michael Sherman and Don Boudet. Mm. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his name. Boudet. Boudet. Booty. And their credits are mostly B-movie skin flicks and TV shows, which Perfect. they are not Hanna-Barbera staff writers. <laughs> it sounds like Gene found them. Well, I don't know. Gene had nothing to do with this. I, that was a joke. So it's interesting that, you know, Hanna-Barbera is trying to branch out, and they're using, you know, outside writers or mm. whatever, and, and, you know, to create, I guess... I don't. I don't want to say adult content, but they're trying to Teen expand. Content? Maybe I don't know. I don't know what the intent here 
is. Because, I mean, when you watch the movie, I mean, well, I'm sure we won't go through the plot, but, you know, we'll talk about certain plot points. But it's like, but I mean, the security guards are like ultra stoner dudes. You know, they weren't even trying to hide that. But that's like the ultimate really like adult quote unquote content. They, they were like, they were like bootleg Cheech and Chong almost. They're like, hey, come on, man. You know, and like they they all had like that. Whoa. Well, they had the, the, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I could see where you would get that out of the Brian James character who we'll talk about in a minute but um i don't think it was written that way it certainly wasn't written that way um i think they wrote this to be you know an action adventure film Mm -hmm. very much in a comic book kind of mold very scooby-doo which connects to hanna-barbera yeah again if this was animated that whole dungeon scene would would have looked so much better yeah deborah would have gone we're getting ahead of ourselves i'm going to talk a little more about the development of this thing and then we'll we'll start picking it apart. Um, <laughs> There's plenty too. You know, I it just it's it's odd to me. Like once the ball rolls on this, it's almost like they're slapping it together and they're like we got to get it done. We got to get it done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't. You know, I, I, they're obviously they're measuring their time as to what their ability is to do all of this because they also have their grind of you know two albums a year touring. Okay, where's the window we can do this in? We need to get it done. Looks like we've got a window of opportunity in spring of '78, mm-hmm. and we got to get there. Yep, by hook or by crook. And it only seemed like two of them of the four were fully engaged. <laughs> well, I mean, at this point, I don't. They're probably all full on engaged. I, you know, this seems like a good idea at this point. But none of them had a clue how to be on camera and perform as an actor or anything like that either. Well, no, and that's that's part of the problem here but they hire a british director named gordon hessler whose credits are mostly i guess uh i want to say b horror films that's not a negative yeah but it's curious um indie horror films low low uh low cost horror films if you want to go that yeah and and the writers budget make a good point that they felt like this would have been better suited to have an american director because you're dealing with kind of an american pop culture phenomenon Mm -hmm. and it's set in an all-american setting and here we've got a foreigner who's coming in because he's more of a you know budget guy I was gonna right. say <laughs> you know and I mean that's not to, you know, Gordon Hessler is a is a, a uh, accomplished director and you know that's part of the deal too so I'm not you know that's not to discredit him at all yeah um, the production cost that I have is two million dollars which is I, I you know depending on who, what where you get your source some people say that was you know an average maybe a high average but Mm. that was average but i've got it as high for television and low of course very low for a theatrical movie yeah it sure didn't go into the special effects no that's you know there's some (laughs) cost cutting measures but i don't think they thought of it that way yeah um then there was also the the caveat that joseph barbera insisted that okay the tongue he was repulsed by this. He he did not understand it. He did not like it. Like, he no. wasn't sure. Is this sexual? Is this what is this? He was so confused. And so the compromise was he allowed it to be seen four times. Yep. 
now that I'm the, thinking over about the course it, yeah. of, of the of a two hour TV movie. And if you, and if you pay attention, they're very predominant moments. Like because I can almost pinpoint them. Like one of them is like when Gene is lifting the mummy character. That's the only time I can think of it. Right? Uh, there, I guess he does it on stage. I was gonna say There's the a few times shows. on stage and. Uh, like when they're coming off the stage right before us, the Star Child scene. Uh, when he's like, How was that again? <laughs> oh, trust me, there'll, there'll be plenty of reenactments in this episode. It's pretty accurate, actually. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that everyone that's seen this movie knows exactly what you're talking about. Oh, anyone else that has it's like, What the fuck? It's like, That's all I had to say was Star Child, do, 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 do. And they know exactly. Star Child, yeah. yes. <laughs> what the, you know, they, okay. <laughs> well, let's not get there yet. Let's not get there yeah. yet. Pre-pro. Um, because uh, so one of the other things I found interesting, um, and I forget where I picked this up. It may have been one of their um, Gene or Paul's books. But someone was sent, someone from the production company was sent to hang out with Kiss for a day or two to kind of uh, get a vibe with how they spoke, the way they interact with each other. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently on that day, Ace was off. He was having an off day, and he was being rather quiet. And all he really did was that little... Yeah. noise so legend has it when he got the script there was no lines for him initially and there, all it had was like one or two lines and him probably saying ah, and he's like what the fuck is this and they're like you didn't talk <laughs> they don't they know, know what the fucking yeah, say yeah, that's all you did yeah there's it has been alleged that they literally sat down and counted the lines that each member had yeah and and, and you know He's got 212 lines, and I've only got 72. Uh huh. That kind of thing. But then Ace was even like, "I have 20." I don't know. (laughs) I don't. You know, I've I've seen that 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 was a fact, and I've also seen that it was like, no, they didn't really do that. So I don't know. I've heard more on the yes than the no. I I don't think they they actually counted the lines. I can see that if they looked at the script and went, "I don't have," you know, and saw that, you know, I don't have as many lines. I, I think it was just that cursory overview of kind of skimming it and just seeing Gene Paul. Paul, Gene, but, Paul, Gene, Paul, Peter, uh, Paul, Gene, Ace. You're seeing, you're seeing, again, this this is all taking root at the same time that, you know, they're starting or have already started recording their solo albums. Yeah. So we're seeing this comp, the this, cracks, this competitive thing develop between them. Now, meanwhile, a coin very wisely insists upon looking on the script. He's like, no, Kiss can never be seen as individual members they have to be together all the time they're always a group so yep. any there's no screen time of any one member alone now of course this changes when you have the evil robot gene blah 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 but as a as a unit you know and that's that's actually really smart mm-hmm. you know that keeps them all equal on equal footing you know and you know if you watch it especially when as a child watching this i wouldn't have sat there and figured one talked more than the other because visually that's what's selling this whole thing. Gene's brother was an only child. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about the cast real quick before we go into this, who they've got casted. Mm. Uh, I don't know if y'all have any information on this. Um, We'll start with the, the hoodlums. The, <laughs> the, the no, gang. Start, no, I want to start with the, the main, the big, the big star in this. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Is the villain. The Phantom, the the titular Phantom. I mm-hmm. love that word, titular. Titular. <laughs> Gee, why, why do you like that word, Russ? I don't know. I don't know. The Nazi scientist. No, just, not really. It just, but. it just points out at me somehow. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Anthony, so Anthony Zerb. Zerb. Yes. Zerb. Gotcha. 
and he has been he was the main bad guy in the movie Omega Man that's probably what most people remember him from uh, his other credits he was in uh, Papillon Cool Hand Luke he, yeah Parallax View Parallax View Parallax View easy for me to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, he would wind up later in the, the Dead Zone the original uh, I guess the Cronenberg Dead Zone and he is in the Matrix films Oh shit! Okay, which I don't so, recall. I don't so, rem- I'm, remember watching I'm, those movies at I'm all. Looking those up right now. One of the counselors. He was, the, one of those he was like a second. The second. And Thank third you, Craig. Chris Morrison from the Couch Potatoes is hanging out. He's slowly becoming a Kiss fan, and he's over here throwing out his Couch Potato yeah, knowledge yeah, yeah. for us. Watching movies, so I have to say something. <laughs> <laughs> so, is apparently one of the counselors in like uh, the Zion scenes and all that. Yeah. Um, so he's he's an accomplished actor. It is interesting to note that he does not include this in his resume. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but you know, well, it's a cult film. I would think that at some point you would come to embrace the fact that it is a campy cult film that has been seen by a very niche and expansive, expansive audience at this point too. And uh, the role of um, oh, I, Calvin Richards. Calvin Richards, thank you. It's Carmine Caridi. Mm-hmm. His Wikipedia page, photo is hilarious. It just looks like he's just wide-eyed from doing coke well, all night. What's interesting about this guy is that you know a lot of this is, and I I'm a big Godfather fan. And when I saw his name pop up another time, I was like, that's the guy from Kiss Me Some Head with a Bar. <laughs> this was uh, Francis Ford Coppola's first choice to play the role of Sonny or yeah Sonny Corleone. Really? Yeah. Okay. Which was a very coveted role. Yeah. And then, you know, he, he and of course, Coppola was wanting unknown actors, which he got with Pacino. James Con- oh. No, Khan was the big star that they, that the product, you know, that Paramount wanted. Oh, okay. If, if, if they had had it their way, they would have had Robert Redford as Michael Corleone. I didn't know which that. Which is bizarre when you think about it. Right. <laughs> but uh, Carmine Caridi, I don't know if it's pronounced Caridi or Carity, but yeah, that's one of those weird ones I'm looking at too. Uh, I don't, you know, Carity's fine, but yeah, we'll just go with that. Uh, and he would also appear in the sequels for The Godfathers as minor roles. He was the uh, one of the uh, Rosado brothers <laughs> in Godfather 2. Yes, you know, he's the one that comes up behind Carmine Rosado, and he comes up behind uh, Frankie Five Fingers. And you know, Michael Corleone says hello, oh, yeah. <laughs> Say we got. He was in the Gambler also, and Car Wash with the. Yeah. I was Richard Pryor, wasn't it? Car Wash. Ah, uh, you got me on that yeah, one. You got me on that so. one too, bud. Okay, no, it's not. I'm looking. Oh, it's George Carlin. Yeah, Carmine. So that's you know he's no, uh, Richard Pryor's in that. Sorry. You know, hey, you kind of got to look at this guy and go. You know, if his if if his career trajectory could have gone a whole complete other direction, had he got the role of Sonny Corleone. But instead, no. Now he winds up in a TV movie of the week with, <laughs> with Kiss. Kiss. But you know, and this, but this is a generational thing that there's a there's a million kids out there that know that guy's face mm-hmm. because he was in this movie. And, Absolutely. You know, I, I think he is. He just recently passed. You know, and I'm surprised he's never turned up any like Kiss cons or none anything like that. I mean, maybe he did, but nothing that I can recall. Of course, I'm not patched into the KissCon thing because I was gonna say I don't I don't ever remember yeah. seeing articles I about just, that. I, it's weird to me that no one's ever made a, a, an effort to assemble this cast at a KissCon somewhere. Maybe they just don't want to. Yeah, maybe the effort was made and they mm-hmm. just weren't successful because the uh, the the lead actress is a 
Deborah Ryan. Deborah Ryan, who has some television and soap opera credits, but then her career it. just sort of peters out. Yeah, she's yeah. got some stuff like Simon and Simon, Chips, mm. BJ and the Bear. So these are shit all like that. Era, that that was all in that era, late seventies, early eighties kind of thing. And then I guess she just gave and, up. And uh, same thing career. with Chopper and Slum. But neither one of them really. Well, did John much. Dennis Johnston plays Chopper, right? Yeah. That guy pops up in a lot of stuff. He played a heavy in a lot of things. He was a character actor that stayed very busy, kind of resembled John Saxon in a way. And uh, I don't, I don't recall him having any lead roles, but I know. Yeah, I was gonna say, even looking at the filmography he was part of, none of them, like immediately like call out and like, oh wow, he was in that movie. Really, kind of when thing. you spy him, though, you, so, you, and, when uh, you see him, you 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 know he's he's got such a recognizable face. I mean, that he was you're in like, the Tick. Well, there you go. <laughs> see the Twilight Zone movie and uh, see uh, another episode of the series as well. Appearances on Golden Girls. He stayed busy too. And I don't know who I didn't. I didn't look up Slime. Yeah, I'm looking at him now. Uh, that was uh, John Lisbon Wood. Uh, he was in Beverly Hills Cop. Looks like a dark man. Uh, he was in the second Beverly Hills Cop, rather. Uh, dark Man, which is a 1990 movie. He was oh, you've also never in, seen Dark Man? No. Oh, you're no, missing out. Man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a fun one, dude. You, no, gotta, gonna, you, you would love that. Okay. Yeah, and then like ER and like a few other little TV uh, spots, but that was it. And Lisa Jane Persky. Yes. Now, I, I happen to Dirty know, D. Played Dirty D. Lisa Jane, I've got, I don't have any of this written down, so I'm kind of rolling off the top of my head. She, at the time, was dating Gary Valentine, who was the bass player in Blondie. She was a very big oh. part. Here we go again. And we keep coming back to this with certain ancillary figures and the kiss thing, mm-hmm. the kiss mythos. <laughs> she was part of that New York City CBGB scene. Ah, okay. okay. And she was heavily involved in all of that and uh, pursued her acting career and uh, did pretty well for herself as a character actress. Um, lots of lots of different roles along the way. But I just think it's interesting that at this point in time that she's right there in the thick of the whole New York CBGB punk scene. And here she winds up in a Kiss movie. And she says in interviews, like, you know, there was nothing more uncool to that to that cadre of people than Kiss. Yep. Which is interesting because it, you're, you're looking at four years prior, Kiss are basically playing shows within the, the what became that scene. Oh, and, yeah. And those people, you know, they weren't that far removed. I have somewhere, someone photocopied an article that was published around this time where they're saying, it's not fair to judge Kiss as, a, as a, like you're doing. And it, are they really that more cartoony or any less cartoony than our beloved brothers, the Ramones? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just fair. And, and, and the guy that said it to me said, told me that it was under a pen name that was handsome Dick Manitoba. The dictators had written it. Oh shit! So, but yet, that was a, that's up. a hard line in the sand for some people because even you know at this point because at at this point like we said the Kiss cult following has been kind of you know it started as more of a darker kind of like post glam leather bondage weird you know we we talk about the 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 famous S and M photo shoot where the girl gets you know increasingly mutilated and touched well, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and disrobed yeah. to where she's fully nude. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Peter even not, had a knife with like fake blood and yeah, shit. And that's only two years prior to this. Yeah. They would not, you know, absolutely would not be doing it at this point. Looking at the uh, IMDB for uh, Lisa Jane Persky, uh, Dirty D, uh, Cap, you may want to look this one up. 
uh, because I was I was just looking through her filmography and it doesn't have it immediately listed, but she was apparently a voice actress on King of the Hill. Well, let's take a look here. Yeah. said it doesn't have the uh, who she voiced on the uh, no, did, not not on just the quick little Isn't slide she down. In Working Girl. Uh, the one that I saw that popped up on our wiki uh, the quickest was uh, when Harry met Sally. Yeah. Oh, when Harry met Sally. Okay. Um, and then I know she's in um, um, Peggy Sue Got Married. Yeah. Yes. She's in Greg I want to say. Is yeah, she that was Greg, the one I was Greg about Santini? to say. Great Santini. She, she was in a Meatloaf uh, TV movie to Hell and Back. <laughs> oh, I understand. And but, the thing is, is like I'm looking at her IMD fo- IMDb photos now, and it's like, I get it. You know, she's a little older now, but it's like. Not now, but good lord! At least back in the Phantom of the Park days, whew, I was watching it again tonight, and I was like, "Good lord!" Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought she was a cutie. Yeah, she was. She was cute. Yeah, absolutely. Coneheads. Okay, but then let's Neighbor see. So after that, you really just have. Oh yeah, uh, Don Steele. We got it. We got to mention the real Don Steele because he pops up in a lot of movies in the seventies, and they're all low budget movies, including. One a movie that come out a year later, Rock and Roll High School. Rock and Roll High School. He's yeah, he's kind of the Greek chorus in Rock and Roll High School of mm-hmm. sorts. And then he's also in uh, Death Race Two Thousand. Yep, and, Gremlins. Um, yeah, so Don Steele was a radio DJ, and if you watch the uh, Land of Hype and Glory, there's a scene where they go to a radio station, and that's Don Steele's radio show that they're doing. He's even featured in uh, in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as recent as a couple of years ago. Well, but yeah, it's probably his voice because I think he's long since passed. I remember uh, watching uh, the movie tonight right before you came over, and as soon as I saw him pop up, I was like, "Is that Don fucking?" Like, yeah, I was just like, or I didn't know the name, but I was just like, "Is that the guy from yeah. fucking Rock and Roll High School?" Yeah. And I immediately pulled out my phone. I was like, "Son of a bitch, it, it is." is. <laughs> sure is. And since we, we mentioned his voice, uh, we'll also add that Peter Chris's voice is dubbed in this movie. Yes, and we'll we'll get to the reason why. But the guy that does the dubbing is a guy named Michael Bell. And probably most famous, at least for that generation that watched this movie, the he did Hanna Barbera. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, he was the voice of Nan the Wonder Twin. Oh, okay. okay. And it, 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 we spotted it. I mean, we could recognize right away. We we're like, it's like that's not Peter's voice. Like one of the Wonder Twins. <laughs> so, uh, so after that. So well, let's let's get down into the well. We forgot the breakout star, uh, Brian James. Oh yeah, Brian James, who would uh, he was character actor in so many things. He, yeah, uh, I see. I saw like uh, his uh, Wiki, Wikipedia photo, and I was just like, oh, this fucking guy. Oh yeah, he's the guy in Blade Runner who says, "Wake." He plays yeah, wake, wake up, up, time, time to die. die. Uh huh. And actually, we, we went through the he entire cast. Yep. But we didn't talk about Sam. Oh yeah, Sam. Sam. Okay, so Terry Lester. Yeah, <laughs> who who I guess was originally cast, and they shot a couple of days with an actor named Sam Cotton, who was the son of Joseph Cotton, who was part of the uh, the um, oh the Mercury players that Orson Welles assembled. He stars in the movie Orson uh, uh, Citizen Kane. And they used him for a couple of days, and Joseph Barbera was watching, I guess, the dailies and decided, no, I want a blonde. I need a blonde surfer type. <laughs> and so they fired the guy. Damn. And they went back and re- they hired this guy, like, on the quick. 
So is he blonde? Is he good looking? Bring him in. Yeah, we need a blonde surfer boy looking type guy. I don't look at this guy as a blonde surfer type. No, he no. just looks like a typical 70s teen. He didn't even seem surfery. He looks like a teenager to me. He looks like he's like 32 years old or something. I'm See, like, I thought mid 20s. He just looks old. Well, I don't even know. though I guess that's not teens either. Yeah. yeah, you're right. But what's funny, I'm looking at his uh, known for filmography mm. on Wikipedia or on uh, IMDb and. It, it doesn't show everything. You have to click all filmography to see it all. Dude, Kiss Me's the Phantom is the third to the last movie in the long scroll. And it's like, and it's all shit that like no one cares about. Like Young and the Restless, <laughs> Arc 2. Well, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot he is in Arc 2. I mm-hmm. forgot all about that. That was a Saturday morning show, live action show. Uh, but I thought that was a Shimer Prescott, Prescott production. I wonder. Or if that was Hanna Barbera, because I think Shimer Prescott did the ISIS and uh, Captain uh, Captain Marvel live action thing. I think that I'm was Prescott Shimer. Let's see, which it's would have been me- filmation. Yeah, it's not immediately. I don't know saying that this has any thing. relevance to Kiss Me the Phantom. By the way, <laughs> uh, as we record this, the uh, the um, actress that played ISIS just recently passed. Oh shit, she was foxy. <laughs> What's yeah, her, her photo just popped up here. She foxy. She fine. All right, back on oh, Kiss and Talk. Quit, quit, quit wandering <laughs> off, Cap. Oh, my Google. ISIS, 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 ISIS. <laughs> Recruitment. Oh, back away, back away. Click, click, click. <laughs> All right, anyway. <laughs> I caught that. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's the uh, that's the cast. They, they start filming this. I guess they filmed this across the month of May 1978 mm-hmm. at Magic Mountain Amusement Park. Uh, technically, I guess, in Valencia, California. Where exactly I, where that is in proximity? It's the Los Angeles region. I don't know. Do y'all have any info on that? I, I didn't Valencia. know that was. Gonna, I didn't know that was going to be part of our oh, well, research. Just, I didn't well, know I needed to saying, look yeah. at how far their distances there's a, were. There's a lot of movies that were filmed at Magic Mountain, and you 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 can. I guess they filmed the movie. Um, oh, see, I'm going to have these senior moments now because I didn't write this down. <laughs> uh, I think it was the Fury. And then uh, there was a movie I liked a lot as a kid called the, I think it's called uh, On the Air Live with Captain Midnight. Right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Captain Midnight. No, this was this, oh, wasn't the this same is one? about a kid who has a pirate radio station that he, he, he and they have it mobile in his van. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it but yeah, causes this was, all kinds of. But yeah, this was know. in California. Yeah. Hijinks and mayhem. But Magic Mountain features prominently in a yes. lot of movies. But, you know, so I, I don't know what the, the deal was. But apparently they were only allowed to film in the park over a course of a couple of days. So most of this is filmed on sets mm-hmm. in Culver City at a, in a, you know. Like basically anytime they lot. cut away and it's yeah. not in the park, it's a set. Yeah. Which you know, pretty smart. Of it is. But they, you know, they got a lot of stuff in the park too. Oh yeah, and got obviously the, the 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 concert scene that was filmed in the park. So I actually have a little bit of information on that concert scene stuff. So they they uh, apparently that was done all in one night, uh, or like was over the span of like you know just primarily one. I think they may have done like two shows, but like the main filming was done in one evening. They did a couple lip sync portions mm-hmm. to start it off, and then Paul would go, "Okay, now we're going to give you a real show," and then they would play, play the a concert. set afterward. Right. Well, it's always been heavily rumored that the entire show was actually filmed mm-hmm. using those high grade cameras. Well. 
you bringing up the uh, the money earlier even kind of better solidifies this. Someone kind of rebrought this topic back up on the Kiss FAQ message boards, and they're like, "Okay, well, we've heard rumors about it. You know, do you think this footage is ever going to get released? You know, we see new snippets here and there, but never like the full footage." And someone just kind of went at it logically and went, "Okay, well, let's just assume that you know the footage could still be around mm -hmm. if they spent." what would you say like a million two million dollars on the film mm -hmm. how much they would have had to have recorded of just that show and how little of it wound up being used it wasn't kiss doing the filming it was hanna-barbera hanna-barbera wouldn't give a shit about capturing an entire kiss show right they're only interested in capturing what the little need. bit that yeah. they need yeah, right. and moving the fuck on yeah so the head the, so the big so a, a lot of people have kind of come to the conclusion of that show actually does not exist and if it does it's probably gone yeah and and if they did film the whole thing it would belong to hannah barbera mm -hmm. and it goes into that idea that Hanna Barbera owns the footage, but Kiss owns the music, and they'd have to come to an agreement for yep. it to all come out. You and, know. I, and I and want that's why say, so much of the uh, the Kiss video stuff, you know, there's a lot of stuff that never came out or hasn't come out because you know, the actual ownership of the visual of it, it belongs mm -hmm. to one entity and then the music belongs to another entity and they've got to come to an agreement to get it released i mean we can even take it to like a modern day thing let's just say i had you know hardcore big boy contracts with every artist that i recorded their live videos of like their uh, shows if i wanted to be an ass in my clause i could say after your initial posting you're not allowed to use this video footage again right, this, right. because I own this footage and I would be able to monetize and put out a live DVD of yeah. all these tours I've seen well, because of the contract. That's what, they that's what kiss would do. And exactly. They would, it went in certain instances where they would buy the footage. So yeah. The, uh, the to, 77 HBO special or yeah, 76 HBO right. special is one of them that comes yeah. to mind. And they were, they were careful to, to make sure that the ownership would revert to them. Um, so, uh, you wanted to go over some of the differences between now, this movie does in fact, get a theatrical release yes, in everywhere, Europe. but U S <laughs> yeah. but in the U S it's a television movie and it airs on what I think October 28th, 1978. Is that right? Yeah. It was supposed to be part of their little Halloween block and it, you know, okay. So let's talk about a little bit since you've got this kind mm -hmm. of outline, there's differences between the TV print that we saw yes and then the theatrical print that went out everywhere else yes so they even gave it a different title as kiss and attack of the phantoms was which the is theatrical a better print. name than kiss meets the phantom I mean, yeah that really is the dumbest name ever that but you know when you're a little kid you're just like phantom mm -hmm. that phantom just sounds cool oh. kiss meets the phantom just phantom. sounds like a scooby-doo episode too yeah, like scooby-doo meets the three stooges or whatever yeah. well real quick before we even get into the uh, plot points of the movie um where, where where was the first time you saw it, Russ? Because I because I think you told us this off mic. I don't know if you told this okay, on no, mic. No, the first time I saw it mm -hmm. was on snowy reception the night it aired in my living room. Oh shit! Okay, I mean, where I lived at in Virginia it was kind of a rural area, and we really couldn't pick up but one station clearly, mm -hmm. and we could. And I was watching. I watched it on. It was a channel twelve out of High Point, North Carolina. Wow, so it reached up that high. Yeah, and then all the way up into Virginia, yeah. And, and it was on Bad Snowy Reception. That's my memory of it. Wow. Um, 
I would not see it again until I was 14. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, on the same weekend that I saw Kiss in concert for the first time, my first concert, this my first concert, December 28th, 1985. And then uh, me and my friend Eric went back up. To, he came down from Virginia to North Carolina, and we saw the show, went to the concert. Then we went back to Virginia because it was Christmas break. Mm-hmm. And that night that we went to, to see the show, it aired as a late night movie. Oddly enough, on CBS, if I remember right, it was an NBC movie, but it they wound up it wound up as a CBS late night movie. I I might have that wrong, but it, oddly enough, though, it aired at all. Right. And so you know, back then you had your VCR and you could timer tape it. Oh, technology. So, so yeah, technology, man. Mm-hmm. And we we went back to Virginia, and it was like it was going to be a big deal. We were going to watch this thing again. You mm-hmm. know? So that was really the first where I could watch it and it really process because my memory of it watching it when I was little, I mean, you're not, you're not sophisticated enough to sit there and look at this and go, this is a piece of shit. <laughs> but when you're 14, you can look at it and go, oh, <laughs> you know, but it's still, it was cool because it was kiss, yeah. you know, and it, it was, it had a nostalgia vibe and that was the first real, you know, starting to really get that sense of nostalgia. And we're in 1985, you're talking, this is less uh, than 10 years later. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of bizarre, but, um, what was the first time you saw it cap here in this apartment? No <laughs> shit. <laughs> so I never had that morbid curiosity to sit down and watch because even the band members themselves would be like, this fucking movie sucks. <laughs> so I never had that, you know, and I never didn't have access to it either. I mean, like I imagine like folks my age or like, uh, Alex's age wouldn't have a, very accessible version of it until maybe uh, the Kissology box sets came mm, out. Yeah, because you never saw this in video stores, or it wouldn't. There wasn't was a whole on. video release in some point uh, 20, nine, 20 some years ago, and it's mm-hmm. from what I understand, it's not a legal release. So I, I looked into that a little bit. There was one legal release that came out, and that's the copy that Mom and I have. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least I say that she was the one that uh, purchased it it's mm. in my possession. <laughs> but that's the one that's kind of like a drawn album cover that has Kiss uh, up top and then kind of in like a kind of slashy kind of splattery letters mm. that says meets the Phantom of the Park. With uh, Peter and Gene on the cover. Yeah, with G- uh, Peter. And, yep, that, that's the one I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah, if, uh, so the one that's on the Wikipedia page right. that people Is take it, a look what, at. Who put that out? Uh, let's see who put this version out. It just says a cover of the film's 1998 VHS release. Oh, so 98. Or 98. Oh, 88. So 88. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that that's the one I that I'm thinking that was, of. I thought that was in a, a an official release. I thought that was a, you I'm know, getting, uh, well, I don't want to say illegal, but, I mean, somebody felt like probably they had the legal right, but because they're using, I don't think Kiss had anything to do with it. This dynamic rock group, let me read the uh, tiny print on here, makes their film. Uh, the print is so like small and against like this white uh, suit on the... Uh, the dynamic rock uh, group makes their film debut battling a demented genius inventor. How yeah. can I read that on a smaller screen than you can? And we're looking at the same page. Because Cap is blind. I guess. <laughs> I to zoom in on it. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I think... So how do we really want to go about it? Well, actually, yeah. So my first time viewing... I don't remember the exact order in which I saw everything, but I remember distinctly being in the car with mom and her using that movie as bait 
for me to be good for the rest of the day. <laughs> Seriously, I remember that because, but I remember. You better be good or else you can't watch the Kiss movie. That's all she said. You can't watch the Kiss movie. And I was so hardcore. I think at that point, all I'd really seen was like the second coming. So I think she had hunt down that copy of the VHS tape and like had it shipped or she found it at the video store and we were already living in Gaffney, South Carolina. So we didn't really have a lot to go on. I don't know how she got it. I knew that you were sending bootleg tapes at the time, Russ, because I've still got two that you sent us. Okay. Um, so I know we were getting bootleg tapes from you I at the time. I, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I don't <laughs> I, bootleg tapes. I, that's that enough wasn't time, me. Enough time's <laughs> passed. No one gives a fuck now. <laughs> but um, I, or so around that same time period, though, she was able to hunt that movie down because I wanted to see it so bad. And she and whenever she finally got it, she's like, you got to be good the rest of the day. You're, you're not seeing the Kiss movie. And I remember watching it the first time and lying to myself the entire time, being like, this is awesome. Oh, this is great. Oh, I love this. Well, this is how awesome. How old are you? Uh, 29. No, how old were you then? Um, Jeez. How old are you when you watch it is what I mean. Uh, let's see. If I remember watching Second Coming around that time period, Second Coming came out in what, like 97, 98? Mm-hmm. So... Had to be maybe around between like seven, uh, between six so and eight. So even at that age, you were thinking this wasn't... Because, <laughs> because because I was that act- age when I watched it the first time, and I just it just it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I think the disconnect was me being an early '90s kid, growing up with the Star Wars re-release on VHS. Oh well, yeah, and the, you, you, I, so yeah. many other things I'm receiving, I'm able to almost okay. use as a basis of example of good. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that what I think you're doing that disconnect was what existed for me to come out of post Star Wars and then look at a movie like Godzilla going that looks like a guy in a rubber suit. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm that example I was, was going to you know, use. But my 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 ability to suspend disbelief might have been greater because uh, you know. Well, but I, I could tell, like, when you watch the Godzilla movies, you're like, that looks funny as shit. Yeah. Well, so, I, it wasn't even that, like, I didn't like it. Because I've always had a special place in my heart for this horrible movie. <laughs> but uh, the scenes I always enjoyed was, uh, and this isn't getting too far ahead, but, like, you know, the, the first robot gene scene where he's beating up the cops. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you see all the strings oh, yeah. and shit. Like, even though I could tell that was so fake, that was still enjoyable because it was still... Kiss doing something crazy and like any of the action scenes where Kiss was like fighting people it was yeah, fun yeah. but every time it would cut to Devereaux and like his fucking you know Kiss is destroying my park you know and shit like that even as a kid I was like dude chill <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that those were the moments when I was like what no no get rid of these other characters more Kiss <laughs> yeah but no so I that I was able to catch that one early on and I remember when like what Cap was saying when the Kissology movie version came out God, I was I was a fucking nerd because it's like I was already like into the whole video editing and like paying attention to like I, I would like watch a movie and then I would spend the next two hours watching all the bonus features of how they made it. Mm-hmm. And like more often than not, I was the kid that like I want to watch Spider-Man. I would grab the movie and put on the bonus features right, and right, watch right. the making of. For some reason, that captivated me so much. Well, we, so we don't we don't have anything like that for the Kiss Meets the Phantom. We don't. So when that alternate version came out, and I was able to see all the different scenes and the different cuts and the different edits, that was about as close as we could ever get to it. How many different? How many? You you've gone full nerd on this. 
<laughs> well, so do, let's so, just go ahead and say that right now. I mean, you know, yes, for a, I Kis- did go for a Kisner this. podcast, this might be the absolute apex <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the absolute nadir of nerddom here yeah we were so, watching it earlier and he was like pointing out all the little like little nuances <laughs> and little details right, of the editing just, jobs let's go ahead and let's just <laughs> issue a disclaimer now at this juncture alex Steff has gone full nerd i, I really have because this is like as go much of a music dude. nerd i can be i, I am much more let's, a visual let's nerd. hear it well what well, do we got so do we want to go through it uh beat by beat through the movie or like do I we mean, just how want much to talk of this about do you got because how much time do we got on this show <laughs> I mean, I can get I can get real bad with it because I mean they they did a whole lot well, of different edits even notice, down to I, I point out the high spots because some of the stuff you're going to point out is probably going to be pretty insignificant <laughs> to you maybe to you, yeah <laughs> but let me say you know I mean like let's just right at the top what's the first thing you notice different I mean straight from the get go uh, the start off of the movie does not start the same way um, as the U S version does so with Kiss in Attack of the Phantoms, it starts off immediately with the couple on a roller coaster and all this stuff, and then you slowly hear a swell of rock and roll all night drums in the background. The right, okay, yeah, I don't so, need the I don't need the sound. Effects. I will give you sound effects. I will paint a fucking picture, man. You you you'll go down your diatribes. I'm going down mine. Damn okay, it, this okay, is my okay, moment okay, to shine. Okay, <laughs> again. Full nerd. Full yes. nerd. All right. This, yeah. This, so I'm, essentially, I'm in I am too. <laughs> no. So essentially, they add in an additional good like thirty seconds of like roller coaster shit before they bust into their. Um, what I would have to also call the highlight of the movie is the intro piece. The intro piece is phenomenal, by the way. <laughs> yes, with uh, all four members uh, superimposed on different parts of the amusement park, singing mm-hmm. rock and roll all night. Paul Stanley shooting lasers out of his eye and the. <laughs> Lasers become a staircase. You're, you're going way too far. You're That's their interest to their yeah. stage. I'm talking about the intro of the movie. Was that not in the? Uh, it's no. not in the intro of the movie. Okay, never mind. Because I said lip syncing rock and roll all night. You're describing well, the beginning okay. of the stage. Here's what I can. I distinctly remember that part where they walk. They're walking on the uh, water fountain. Yes. So and I pointed that I out to him kid, too. Yeah. That's something that really stuck out in our brains. We just thought that was really, really cool. I and, don't know why, but when you're little kids, you're like, "Wow, man, they're walking on the water fountains. That was cool." And of, then you look at it now, and it's like, "Oh, they're on see-through boxes, and those are superimposed on top of it." Doesn't it. That, matter. It's that, still cool. That and they're just walking so awkwardly in those fucking platforms well that's because that's because there was a very high risk of them slipping and yes. falling <laughs> well talking about the uh the platforms uh, chris morrison he had not seen the movie yet and he loves movies that are so bad they're good and i was like oh well you gotta watch this then so it's like it, it, there was multiple times where he's like you know those heels are really impeding of their running after people yeah. <laughs> because they are they're walking so stiff-legged <laughs> So, so, so go save him, plod, 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 yeah. plod. <laughs> clomp, clomp, clomp. Yeah, so uh, honestly, a lot of the main edits happen in the first bit of the movie because the original theatrical just starts cold screen mm-hmm. with the rock and roll right, over right. album cover, yeah. that scene, and then the marching band. Right. And then they cut to Deborah and the... The, the opening uh, credits, right. Yes. Well, then they cut to the marching band and then Deborah and the uh, owner kind of walking, talking about Kiss playing there that night and attack of the phantoms they add in like a whole bunch of extra like animatronic scene you get a little bit more with uh the dj that was in rock and roll high school he's in it a little bit more um 
but probably the most notable change, and it's the one change that I hate they made in the entire time I was bitching going, I wish they didn't do this. I wish it was the old version because it would be so much better if it was. They replaced all the cool 70s porno background music with Kiss solo that album wasn't material. Porno music. That, mo- that, 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 that wasn't shaft a porno. Music. That wasn't a porno. <laughs> it's not fair to call it porno music. It wasn't used in a porno. It was used for a Kiss movie. But anyway, you're talking about they had that stock. Yes. Whatever. That yeah, well, actually, fucking, that music uh, was, I think, actually scored for that movie, believe it or not. I wouldn't be surprised. And they, yeah, they replace it in Attack of the Fams with. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's little moments of it still left, and when it would come in and swell, I'd be like, guys, 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 this is what it sounded like the whole fucking time. No, <laughs> it's not Kiss music; it's Peter Chris, Ace Freely. Well, well, yeah, the, from the solo album. Yeah, yeah uh, oddly enough, they they picked all solo album material except for one song, which is almost human. Yeah, <laughs> they and they insert. Where does they play that at? With an additional scene, so. And for some reason, they decided to keep this scene in, and it completely fucks up the continuity of the entire movie. Okay. So, fast forward a good bit. Kiss is already aware that something's going on in the park, and it's there walking through the park thing while uh, Abner Devereaux's fucking with the park and turning shit on on him, and they're getting through all the fights with the, you know, white uh, bear-looking people. Right before all that kicks in. Yes, the Wampas. (laughs) Right, like literally right before that scene, it cuts back to the Cheech and Chong fucking security guards or the straight man and the stoner security guards. They're hanging out in their little thing. Dude's still in a sling from Robot Gene throwing them up against the wall. Mm. They make some sort of, you know, back and forth bad 70s joke. And they're like, yeah, working here is like a gas as the room starts filling up with gas and you hear the almost human riff kick in. And I swear to God, it's the um, it's the red suits from uh, earlier in the film. The, yeah, uh, the British red coats. Yeah, the red coats. They come walking in to almost human and grab the two security guards and walk out with them. That's the only part where like the uh, the colonials, the colonial robots are used. Yeah, because right. you see them uh, earlier in the film and they never get shown again. Okay. Well, apparently they the- shot that scene. But what's weird, and the reason I say it fucks up all the continuity is that happens and then a few scenes later after kiss gets kidnapped and the robots are about to take over the show those same security guards are standing outside acting like nothing happened well that's probably why they cut it out then maybe I don't exactly know. so that's why i find it odd that they put it back in Dylan yeah. <laughs> even says uh earlier in the movie says my products are almost human and i mean yes. they start singing it out loud <laughs> and um and honestly the one edit and it's so i don't know why they did it there's absolutely no reason why they had to do this they weren't trying to trim up time it's not like they said something bad it's just one of the stupid arbitrary edits ace already didn't have lines or barely had lines to start with right before yeah basically (laughs) and they've got guns that's the extent of his fucking lines right the one major line he has is as they're walking up to the Tower of Terror, that haunted house thing, yeah. they're kind of hiding out. They say it's too quiet, and he starts singing Rocket Ride. Yes, that's the exact scene. And he, what does he do? Uh, he goes, it's a little too quiet. Yeah. Well, why well, didn't you, you say, say so? so? She yeah. wants a rocket ride. She right. wants a... And then he gets hushed on the second line of she wants right. a rocket ride. On this, literally, it goes, why didn't you say so? She wasn't... Shh. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. They cut that part. And I'm sitting here going, I'm like, there's no reason for that. There, that's one of those arbitrary... I called it a George Lucas cut. Yeah. It's arbitrary. It wasn't needed. They just cut two seconds of dialogue. Want, they didn't want to have to pay... Ace royalties. Ace, Ace royalty on on using his song. Yeah, this Kissology pro, uh, product was a Paul and Gene uh, yeah, they project. That, that may have something day. to do with it, but who knows? Who knows? I, I've just I've just always found that odd though that like they they cut that because that was always one of my. I laughed about that the hardest as a kid because yeah. I'm sitting here going, oh, Ace referenced one of like his brand new songs. Like yeah. even when you think about the context at yeah. the time, that's one of his brand new songs. So it's like, it's kind of cool. And it almost gives it more of that hard day's night vibe. So for them to cut it is a little weird. I don't know. That's, that's just me. All the dialogue's pretty goddamn poor well, yeah. within all the members. <laughs> and it, I don't even know if it's even so much the dialogue is also the delivery is so wooden because none yes. of the actors are necessarily that good. Um, and like the, other the, weird, the subplot I think of of what's driving Abner Devereaux insane. I, you know, I think that's you, you, obviously you got better actors. It's it's better delivered. Um, well, even his motive is fucked because in that initial conversation, uh, when he's when the park owner is trying to explain, you know, why they're even bringing Kiss in, he goes, you know, he's like, "I've made you millions from my animatronics." He's like, "Yes, and you've been paid fairly." He's like, "It's not about the money." And then two seconds later, he goes, "And you just keep cutting my funding." And I'm like, "Is it about the money or is it not yeah. about the money?" Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. So even look, his man, motives look, are a little the weird. Holes in this is are big enough to drive, you know, semi trucks through. But that's okay. I mean, again, you know, this was so fast and so rushed. Just, yeah, just just played fast and loose with this thing, and it just. I will say. With all the little things that Kiss likes to monetize and release and stuff, there are two pieces from this movie that feel so ripe for any of like these expanded Love Gun editions, expanded, you know, because they're doing all these super deluxe versions of these records now. Why they've not released the acoustic version of Beth from the pool scene. Yeah. Because it's in great quality. And why they haven't released Rip and Destroy. That was just awful, anyway. Just as bonus tracks, not you know, not to like hang the hat on. Oh, buy this release because this is on it. But like, why they haven't included them just as yeah. fun little bonuses to something? I don't know. Oh, well, maybe they just don't feel that they're really release worthy. I, don't I think know. the acoustic Beth would be because I think that's really cool. Yeah. One thing I'll give this movie though is that it has like some of the most crisp. Kiss footage from this time period too, even though they're all lip syncing or it's to a okay. recorded version. You know, I, I I have not watched this in a while. I purposely avoided watching this again. <laughs> yeah, it's not a uh, good movie. <laughs> but I, I do I do know that from uh, having seen it, um, I don't think the concert footage is really all that spectacular. I think I mean, compared to like the film quality. You no, know? the film quality is great. I mean, as far as the clarity and everything, that's what I'm getting yeah. at. And it would be cool if that surfaced as a complete concert. But I, you know, I agree with what the speculation is on that. Yeah, but um, which I don't is think which it's is unfortunate. I would love to see a full concert of that. It would be cool, but uh, unfortunately, I just don't think it's very well shot. And they do little things, if I remember, to try to add like excitement, like they do the big zoom in and out real fast thing, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, I guess I just have a very kind of 
clear-cut idea in my own head how that should have been presented. Oh, and yeah. To me, you know, you can't present, you know, it to give the majesty of Kiss being Kiss, that aura, you know, it should have all been filmed. All the live stuff, anyway, should have been filmed from below, like from, from the... <laughs> From the vantage point of the of the between the barricade Mm -hmm. and the stage, looking up, you should always be looking up at them, and instead of looking down or head on, the head on shots are just boring. There's no sense of excitement. There's no sense of energy, and it doesn't really convey to me what I had pictured in my brain as the excitement of a Kiss concert. But you know what? I almost am willing to bet I know why they shot it like that. Well, time and money. Not even Uh, angles. Well, the, I, I, but they could still I, I do. I bet you the Paul. I bet Paul would have been like, "Don't shoot from down below," because no one is flattering from they, down they below. Don't, they don't have any say in that. I'm sure of it. I'm sure they had. They just they were told where their marks were and they hit them, and that was all that mattered. Because they claim that that was it. It's hit your mark, say your line. Yeah, yeah. and they were being fed their line from you know off camera. Mm-hmm. Okay, like say uh, say it's uh this way. Paul, it's this way. Your line today. And this is my favorite line the whole movie. Let's go. That's my favorite part too. We literally had to reverse it up just to watch it again. You, yeah, you know, and I'm like, I wonder how many takes it took to get that in. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure my, one. It's like, Mark, okay, walk out on the bridge and say, let's go. I don't know. My favorite series. Clomp, clomp, clomp. Uh-huh. Let's go. My favorite series of lines is uh, Easy Cat Man. They're serious. Yeah. And they've got guns. Yeah. Yeah. That, those, that's my favorite sequence well, of lines. I, you know, but that works because he's mocking them because they have powers that you know, extend beyond them. But, but for Ace to uh, spit that line out, too, with just that sarcasm, too. And, just like, and they've got guns. And I'm, I'm, I find it also interesting. They're using the concept of the talisman, which I think are also in the comic books. Whose idea was that? Who created that? And I think that might be a shock delay thing that's probably how they got away with using copying something from that would have been property intellectual property of marvel comics yeah mm-hmm. but you know, evidently this would have been looked at as intellectual property of kiss yeah. See, probably, i thought I the whole talisman Sean, thing was so cool like as a kid yeah i, I thought I that think, was awesome I had no problem with that I, I you know i think this had the potential to be a lot of fun absolutely and, and if it were put in the right hands you know, and I think, you know, first off, as it is, as it stands, it probably would, again, it would have worked better as an animated feature. I agree. It would have been way more exciting for, certainly for a kid of like my age at that point, which is what they're aiming for. They, I'm surprised they've never did anything animated until much Recently. later. Like, yeah. And, they, and that kind of stuff didn't work. I could see the classic flat Hanna-Barbera traditional cell animation mm-hmm. really servicing the kiss thing. Oh yeah. I mean, imagine Abner Deborah as like a Scooby-Doo, you know, yeah. mustache well, twirling kiss villain. Characters though, would well, yeah. work better. That style of animation, not the style of animation that they do today. Like what has wound up in the recent Scooby-Doo that yeah. they did and all that. I, I know exactly what you mean. That's all super stylized and they've, they, you know, it's not the same. Now, a lot of kids get confused. Uh, there was a Scooby-Doo episode that had a Kiss-like Kabuki character, and there are people to this day swear up and down, oh, no, I saw a Kiss comic. That dude a Kiss had com- red cartoon. hair, everything and else. And I'm like, no, you're thinking of something else. There was never an animated Kiss thing. Uh, but this is, 
I was going to say we talk about how uh, how poor the performances are by the individual members, but Gene tries. And all honestly, of his they all try. Honestly, uh, I, I think, think they all try. It, to, they're just. I think Gene cared. They're more. not succeeding. Well, Gene is being. I think he's buying into the camp of it. Yeah. Whereas you know, but that's I think, kind of the fun of his scenes. Though. I think that you know the the we know now again, and this feeds into like what we didn't know then being so vital but we know now that they weren't getting along Mm -hmm. Uh, ace and peter really really did not like the long hours and sitting around they were tired of being in kiss well yeah i think it was just the the, you know the constant day in day out costuming and makeup i think the the only person that wasn't in it was peter because going back watching it you can tell paul is trying to lean into the camp a little bit gene's definitely leaning in and Knowing Ace, you can see like a little bit of like earnest acting on his Ace, face in some yeah. moments. Oh, Peter was just so checked out the entire I don't know. time. Peter's, Peter's few lines. I mean, he it's not his he's voice, not his but voice, and he's not delivering it. All his stuff. I mean, we love Peter. We've made that very clear on this show. But like, yeah, we still have to call it when it comes out. And I think this is the first real moment that we see from Peter of him just not being a team player. As I this, don't see it because this movie winds down to completion. Peter uh, has a wild night out with Fritz Postlethwaite, who's yep, their, I've got that here. Who was their monitor mixer and has become their tour manager. So, real quick before you mention that, though, so the full timeline: May first was day one of shooting, and uh, this is a funny little article too. It says, uh, in a um, in a local trade magazine, it says the first rock gothic mystery filmed for rock TV. Gothic mystery. Yes. So on May 1st is when they started it, and May 26th was the final filming day. So one month. Yes. No, that's, that's, it, it, well, that makes sense. And then, so they finished on the 26th. Now, and on the 27th then is Peter when Peter has his car wreck. Yep. And, of course, uh, you know, he walks away for pretty much unscathed. I think he busted his arm up. Yep, it says uh, it says arm. Peter got a concussion uh, plus a uh, rib and finger injuries. So yeah, oh. basically a couple bruises. But Fritz yeah. Possel, po- uh, Fritz Possel, through it. I can't even say his name. We'll just say Fritz. Yeah, uh, he gets burned up pretty bad in this thing. And yeah, it says uh, he suffered serious burns. Uh, and I think he ends up getting married in the hospital. Mm-hmm. It says serious burns, but said uh, to recover quickly. Because he was he was, he was was set to get married, and I think they ended up having to have it. I might have that wrong, but it seemed like I read that they ended up having to have them you know, exchange their vows while he was still in the hospital. Because I guess he wound up in intensive care, but I'm, I, I'm not 100% on the backstory on that. And while all this is going on at the same time, Ace is bailing on uh, set days to where they're having to get you know, stunt doubles to play uh, oh, Ace to or play like Ace. A, yeah, to cover for the fact that he isn't there. Um, all that, you know, but I, all that, we know that now, but at the time, I don't think you would have, that wouldn't have really come into consideration. I might have looked at it as just the ne- the, necess- the necessity of having a stunt double in any given scene. Um, just how jarring that how it's like it's you can tell that it's like an Afri- African-American guy playing wearing Ace's yeah, costume where that's maker. clearly not Ace Freely. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bizarre. Um, what else you got for this? I mean, uh, I mean, I've got more of stupid minutia, but I feel yeah. like we were trying to move away from that quickly. So well, sorry. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't know how badly you wanted to pick this apart. Well, and we're kind of has that Michael Crichton. Uh, Chris made a comment uh, early uh, as we were watching it, saying that uh, it kind of has a uh, Westworld <laughs> feel to it. Yeah. No. The um, 
And one of the, let's talk about the wrap up of the film. How how do we feel about the wrap up? So it's like literally, so Kiss defeats Evil Kiss on stage, and then we go back to the lair. And Abner Devereaux is sitting there now with a head full of gray hair, all drawn long and shit. And they're just like, he created Kiss to destroy Kiss. The end. The end. Yeah. <laughs> or, or the original version where uh, they see the device on the... Uh, the, the uh, yeah, that's another edit, but no, we don't want to talk about all no, the stupid go edits. Ahead, no, go ahead. Go <laughs> ahead. That's ridiculous. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, how much of that is, is really in there, though? I mean, you've got that. That's kind of a major component. In the TV movie, uh, the character of Sam, he's fallen under the, the, the trance-like control of... Of the fan and at the end you see this little computer chip thing on his neck, mm-hmm. a little yeah. circuit, and Paul's just like just reaches and for it, just re- like and he just plucks it off, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, he's all better. Yeah. Now in the theatrical movie, mm-hmm. no, they they grab the footage, and when you watch it, it's clearly looped. Like they kind of like paused the frame and kind of like made it jerk back and forth. Mm-hmm. Okay, comparison in Star Wars: A New Hope. When Luke gets attacked by the um, Sand Raider, right? And the guys and, yeah, lifting the thing, yeah. yeah they reversed First and played to, it to back make and it forth. Play longer, yeah. Yep, they did the same thing. They kind of, yeah. but very poorly, kind of like back and forth the thing a little bit and added Paul's little thing from his eye. What was that again? Okay, again, that's exactly the sound effect that's used in the movie. I think that's actually the legit sound effect. Somebody's just on the mic, sitting in a sound studio going. Okay, do it now. <laughs> as, as I called it, Paul uh, Stanley's uh, plot convenience uh, superpower yeah. in his uh, <laughs> star yeah, so, eye. So he just he, he, he shoots it. He shoots it off. His yeah, he just neck. he just lasers it off. It's so just like, I mean, huh. but what other stuff is in the movie like that? I mean, how much of that is is prevalent in the movie? Not little things, but stuff that's like big, because that's kind of a big thing. That's I, a big change. Well, to, I guess in my opinion, a lot of that kind of stuff winds up being big changes, like mm-hmm. you know the additional scene with the security guards, mm-hmm. and then like even after that, uh, you know, Kiss gets on the merry-go-round. Devereaux turns it on. You hear the carnival music as they kind of go around in a second. Then it slows down, stops. They get off and walk off. Watch our heroes in peril on yeah. the merry-go-round. That was in, uh, meets the Phantom of the Park and Attack of the Phantoms. That turns into a mini music video. It turns into a montage moment where it's like the uh, carnival. Turns turns on then it's a man of a thousand faces starts playing mm-hmm. and it's like a montage scene of like like kiss is still on the goddamn uh merry-go-round but now Devro's walking around his um uh lair spraying shit wiping stuff down tinkering with things as it keeps clicking the kiss going i don't believe it ah! as they're just trapped on a merry-go-round and it's like it turns into this whole minute-long sequence of a montage scene and Where, then it stops. Do you think that, that was probably added to give a little more uh, length to the film, I guess, for a theatrical. Because, like, I, I would you know, guess so. Because a lot of this stuff would have been cut to, you know, you had. It's a two-hour time slot, but you have to have a lot of time for commercials. But but I guess growing up with the old cut and yeah. watching that one, it feels so jarring. Yeah. Because it's like, and again, even, stu- and you can tell they were reusing footage mm-hmm. because, again, it's supposed to be nighttime. And all the shots they were using were at night, but you could tell they were turning down the brightness. The day for night. Because 
there were people on the roller coasters right and like they were having to like darken certain spots to like make sure you couldn't see people on the roller coasters and shit like that it's it's just very weird yeah the editor brain just went crazy rewatching it huh oh yeah and honestly my favorite special effect that they didn't try changing at all in fact it's probably more clear in this version is robot gene and his very last little fuck you he does to all the guards when he walks up over to that little coca-cola shack he turns around growls at everyone again turns around and just beats the fuck out of that shack but he he barely punches the roof (laughs) And, and again, like, you can watch it. You, he barely taps that thing, and you see the wires like yank it, and so that roof just goes fucking flying out of frame like a million miles a minute, just from like this tiny little tap. He's like does. it's paper. <laughs> well, I remember when he goes marching off and he juts his arms out so his wings are spread. It's yes, just, it's such an awkward thing to see yep. when you look at it now. It's like. It's just so poorly the, done. The film career of a young Gene Simmons just yeah. taking off. Well, I was telling them, I said, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the scene that kind of set Gene into the whole, I like acting, because he just had like this big fight scene by himself. It wasn't his stunt double, and he was just being, he was allowed to be the brooding demon, and he won, that well, kind of thing. Now, looking back at this film, and we, of course, we get in hindsight, um, this could conceivably be called Kiss's jump the shark moment. I don't yeah. know that once this movie airs, you know, their their whatever cachet of cool they held seems to really just be eliminated at this point and it becomes very much a kid or kitty uh a kitty band a almost. Kiddie band thing. I don't think uh, I think the that that's only uh, visually and in film what in in like in a film perspective that do, that doesn't kill the idea of Kiss as a band yet until the very next album. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying. But this really, I think that just solidifies solidifies what what the impression is. But it seems like to me at this point the movie comes in and it's like if you're if you were. You know, you got to remember as a teenager how time seems to be a little more distorted and diffracted in that five years when you're a teenager is an obscene long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two years is an obscene long time. Yeah, five years is nothing I can, now. I can remember in, in, in 1988 getting a video of somebody, somebody gave me, it was, he had taped uh, MTV videos from 1986. Oh, and it was so old. And it just seemed so old to me. Like, I was like, man, I can't believe this. This is from way back you know now you know i think it's also different because there's so much more happening i think kids today they're they're conditioned to the fact that uh, they're you know like well if they're listening to rock and roll which i don't think a lot of kids do anymore but you know a group like say metallica you know it's six eight years between albums that's just considered normal whereas back in the day groups were putting out two albums a year yeah so their sense of time is different so if you were a kiss fan that got on board in 1974 or 75 when kiss is sort of this bastard anomalous thing that you know it's like hey man do you know kiss huh you know and it's 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 this almost borderline underground thing Mm -hmm. and it quickly morph so fast and then here we are now two three four years later and they're superheroes on tv selling to little children you know you were 14 in 1975 now you're 17 
or 18, your, your kiss ed- is going to be like so passe. Yeah. yeah. Your you favorite know? edgy band from 1974. And that's what I mean. Like, this might be the point where they jumped the shark because that would have been the breaking point. If I was 17 and they did that, I could see where I'd be like, hey, you know what? I just to stay for me anymore. Yeah. It just kind of went from Black Sabbath to the Bee Gees. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I would agree on that. You know, so this movie, it, it was it was a good idea, poorly executed, ill-conceived, slap-shotted together. If they had taken the time and the energy and the effort, though, to do something that had any kind of legs whatsoever, instead of trying to do this camp TV film, if they had done a theatrical film like Hard Day's Night, do you think the outcome would have been different? And do you think it would have still helped or hindered them at this point. I mean, that's a should have, could have, would have kind of uh, interesting yeah. thing to talk about. And, you know, it's like, to me, it's like the same thing as if they had continued on using Bob Ezrin as their producer, would they have gained more clout, you know, critical clout, more respectability, while still being able to retain their credibility as a rock and roll act. I think that comes back to your uh, point that you made earlier about how uh, the big thing with Kiss was their uh, mystery mm-hmm. and uh, their uh, and uh, how uh, you know compared to the Beatles, we got the Beatles personalities at face value, but with Kiss, that was all up to the listeners right. and fans' imagination. So maybe the movie was too much. Maybe they were just showing too much of their hand at this point. I think so. You know. Well, I think they still could have. I think. To call back to something you said earlier, which is, you know, the plot of the movie isn't so bad if it was better executed with better actors. Mm -hmm. I think if Kiss had done a better job selling it and they had a better cast around them and maybe had an extra million to throw at it, it probably would have done a little better. But I think just with Kiss being so green on anything acting, them not even having a good cast around them to help lift them up a little bit even, I think it was just kind of set to fail from the start. And even kind of thinking, even if it was an animated thing, I think that would have been cool in hindsight. But again you know perspective you know is you know exactly that people were going on about them being on um uh fuck the uh special they did rock and roll off not rock, uh, detroit rock city and beth oh on the uh with the the halloween special with paul lynn paul lynn yes even that one was even being even kind of touted as oh they were on that you know right. family well, variety and, and, show but this goes, but the, you know, it's so like, i'm thinking a cartoon right cartoon, would have been well, I was gonna worse. Say, conversely a cartoon movie or a cartoon show would have had the same effect as this movie did, i think it I think. would have been worse and but you know they've made they they've made two calculated moves that have backfired against them at this point they're releasing four solo albums in a day and none of them are hits nope and now they do this tv movie now the tv movie does well but nbc has no faith in it and doesn't even promote it no barely barely promotes it which shows they saw it and were like oh we're just gonna have to throw this out there and see what happens (laughs) and it did okay (laughs) but you know not so much that they ever aired it again yeah i don't recall any reruns of it until that one you caught that one i saw so you know this whole thing is and and now they're priming the well for what is going to be ostensibly what they feel i guess would be their biggest year and this is going to where we're going to go next on the next episode Mm mm-hmm Provided you all ride with us, you're going to see, uh, uh, you know, this is the tragic, uh, what do they call it? The second act. Yeah. Where uh, the success is in abundance, but. But. 
you know, the cracks are getting so, bigger. So hopefully you'll join us for the next episode of No Time to Turn because it's going to get a little dark. Just a little, a little bit. dark. Yeah, this is this is honestly that the kind of the moment I feel like Cap and I have been kind of waiting for in these Kiss episodes because basically from this moment on every album is filled with drama. Yeah. And tons of like backstory so much stuff. Going on. So and yeah, this, this is kind of when we, you know, it takes off. They have they've spent this time from from the from their inception to this point and that's why I say this is sort of a jump the shark moment because mm-hmm. this is the pinnacle. And now, you know, someone's you know you're gonna have to pay the piper Mm -hmm. and here it comes so hopefully you guys will uh, join us for the next episode of no time to turn so for alex and cap uh, i'm russ and we will catch you next time when we explore the kiss dynasty thank you for listening please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash something good network.